This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, December 15th. I'm Karen Brown. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, as the first coronavirus vaccines arrive in Mississippi, health officials detail plans for the initial shipments. Then state officials and Republican leaders gather to formalize Mississippi's six electoral votes. Plus, on the heels of its legislation, a small group organizes a trade association for medical marijuana. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's first shipment of the COVID-19 vaccine has arrived and health workers are already receiving the first dose. During a live Zoom press conference yesterday, state health officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs and several other health officials were some of the first in Mississippi to receive an injection of the Pfizer vaccine. Dobbs and state epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers say the vaccine is becoming available for the state's health care workers and long-term care facilities as Mississippi is experiencing its highest COVID-19 transmission rate. We're going to offer it to everybody um, within the long-term care setting. And I think that we are actually looking at going ahead and pull the trigger on the long-term care uh, distribution today and start the process. Now, the vaccines won't be in arms immediately, but we have gotten information from our CDC partners that we should have enough vaccine to kick it off. So look forward to us uh, look, please look forward to us launching that initiative as early as later today. And Dr. Dobbs, I would add that um, additionally, once we get those doses uh, for distribution among the long-term care uh, facilities, uh, there should be adequate vaccine to go around for, for every single resident and every single um, uh, staff and healthcare worker in each and every long-term care facility. Hospitals are being prioritized during the initial phase of distribution so frontline workers can get vaccinated. Dobbs says some hospitals receive their allocated doses directly from Pfizer, others through the Department of Health. Um, Some hospitals, if they have proper storage and actually have enough uh, folks who need to be immunized, will receive direct shipments from Pfizer uh, because they can accommodate it. But most other hospitals, because they don't have the proper uh, deep storage and don't have enough people to, to digest the entire 975 lot of vaccine that comes in a common package, they will get vaccine through um, us and our, and our partnership with UMC to make sure that uh, they get the proper number of doses delivered. So there'll be two different mechanisms. Um, so, uh, and I think that's the same thing, kind of answers that last part of the question. What's the plan or concern for getting doses into rural communities? And so for hospitals, we'll be getting them to rural hospitals. Same thing for nursing homes, right? They'll get it the same way through the par- pharmacy partnership. And then um, when the time is right, we're going to have uh, the COVID vaccine available through drive-through clinics, through numerous locations in the state, and then eventually in every county health department so that people can always have it, besides the hundreds of people who've already signed up to be uh, vaccination partners, whether they're clinics or pharmacies. 
With only 25,000 initial doses available, Dobbs says hospitals will have some autonomy over who receives the vaccine. We have by and large left it to them to decide. Um, But from our advice, we really want them to give it to folks who are at highest risk of contracting the virus because of where they work, like ER or intensive care unit or COVID unit. And because, and for folks who are uh, most critical staff who are exposed to COVID in this most intense period of the pandemic, where we are absolutely overtaxing our healthcare system. So those folks need to be protected. We don't, we can't afford to have three nurses in an ICU out of commission for two weeks, not only for their health, but also for the health and the um, healthcare requirements that Mississippians are going to have. I'm just going to say it straight up. It's ugly right now, and it's about to get a whole lot uglier. There's no way to imagine that these thousands and thousands of backlog cases are not going to translate eventually into uh, hospitalized patients and ICU patients. On average, um, over this pandemic, uh, about 10% of cases have required hospitalization. We've seen mounting daily hospitalizations, and our peak has been, uh, I think, 174 in a single day. And once they get hospitalized, they tend to stay there longer than your average patient. Well, we've been seeing 2,300, 2,600 cases in a day sometimes. So we see a real avalanche of folks hitting the healthcare system soon. So I just want everybody to understand that we're going to have a rough winter. The Pfizer vaccine requires two doses for maximum efficacy, as does the Moderna vaccine under review this week. Dobbs says procedures are being put in place so recipients of the first dose can get their second round in a timely manner. There'll be a process. Um, We will inform folks when they need to get their follow-up vaccination and get them an appointment. Now, there'll be different processes depending on where you go, right? So different uh, clinics may have a different follow-up process. But for, for our processes and through our immunization registry, we do have an automatic Um, a notifier that will let folks know when it is. And we actually have a process where you'll get like a text and a phone call reminding you it's time to come back. And for the Pfizer vaccine, it's three weeks. So all of us here today, will look forward to getting our second dose in three weeks. Uh, Another question, does the first dose become ineffective if they wait too long? You know, we don't know that um, very much. I mean, we do know that you need to have two doses to reach maximum effectiveness. A single dose seems to show about 82% efficacy after about seven days. Uh, we, you would expect that you may have some waning immunity, but as far as with that second dose, would it boost you the full 95% efficacy? Maybe, maybe not. We just don't know. Uh, with other vaccines, there is some wiggle room, so you'd expect that within some duration of time, you're going to maintain full efficacy. Despite the hope that the vaccine brings, Dobbs warns its impact will not be felt in the greater community for months. He says those initial doses represent the beginning of the process. It's not going to have a big impact over the next couple of weeks. This is just the start. This is the beginning of the process. We will not have enough people immunized to affect population transmission. What we may have in the course of five or six weeks, or maybe even eight weeks, are enough nursing home individuals and employees vaccinated to have an impact on that set of the population. And we may have some impact on people catching it in the hospitals, which is rare because we know people know how to how to protect themselves, but also to protect people who are working in the hospitals so that they can keep working because our, have, our hospitals are absolutely packed, especially the ICU services where we are absolutely full and we cannot afford to lose a single employee or risk additional um, ineffectiveness in our care for Mississippians. 
Dobbs also acknowledges the skepticism that surrounds the new vaccine. He says he understands the caution and concern. During the Zoom conference, he said he and other health leaders have faith in the virus, noting the research and development technology used to produce the vaccine has been going on for a decade. It's okay to be concerned. It's okay to be cautious. It's okay to be thoughtful. Um, So there's nothing wrong with that. But what I will say is... um, we believe in the vaccine. The three folks that you see on the screen, myself, Jim Craig, and Dr. Byers, have been at the front end of this thing from day one. And uh, and us, along with other people who are really leading this effort, looking at the data every day, have faith that this is the right path. Um, that although there may be some mild side effects the next day, it is not only gonna be better for us personally, but it's gonna be better for our families, and it's gonna be better for our communities. Um, the other thing is, you know, we've looked at the whole development process and there's nothing there's nothing new or mysterious about it. They've used the same procedures as far as like the clinical research that one of the things that's really cool that we don't think about is the reason that we were able to get an RNA vaccine so quickly is because of the decade of research that was going on up to this point. We were like uniquely fortunate to have the technology sitting on the shelf for a different infection but that translated perfectly for coronavirus. And then from there, we're able to do the the clinical trials in the normal sequence that we would do any other vaccine. Um, There were some innovative things as far as like overlapping uh, research with uh, with production, right? So instead of having to have research and then make sure there's a market and then start producing it, if you do those things in parallel with the government taking the risk for financial loss, then you find yourself in a lot better situation. So, um, but if you're you're, um, worried, I would say, get information from reputable sources. If it comes from Facebook or social media, discount it immediately, you know, and talk to your doctor, talk to your provider, talk to your physician. Um, I think those are the best things you can do. Dobbs and other health leaders are also emphasizing mitigation strategies during the holiday season. Yesterday, the state reached a new high in the seven-day rolling average, 2,129 cases per day. Dobbs says it still isn't a good time to gather in mass. I think we really just have to assume anyone we're around has COVID. We can't change that mindset. And we're most vulnerable to the people that we know and love because we trust them. We want to be close to them. So I think we'll keep the same recommendations of keep it small, keep it nuclear, keep it local. Um, keep it within your, your own family right now. It's, it, we're, we're too close to give up right now. And even when you're around family, um, even if it's uh, close, close you know, family members, maintain space. And outdoors is always preferable. But I think we're going to still say keep it small, keep it nuclear, and keep it local. Um, we don't want to have big, big Christmas parties lead to big COVID outbreaks, unfortunately. Coming up, state officials and Republican leaders gathered to formalize Mississippi's six electoral votes. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. 
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi voters turned out in record numbers in last month's general election. And yesterday, the state's six electoral votes for president were formalized. State officials and Republican leaders cast the state's votes for Republican Donald Trump, who won 58 percent of the popular vote. Following the electoral vote, Secretary of State Michael Watson celebrated the record turnout and showed reverence for the process. As you saw, Mississippi's turnout on Election Day and the results there, winner-take-all state. Uh, so it was expected with a faithful elector coming in today, and the presidential electors all cast their ballots, obviously, for Donald J. Trump and Michael R. Pence. Uh, and so that was the, the results of today. But really a uh, neat process and, and part of history uh, to be able to oversee that and work with our presidential electors here today. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, not every day you get to sit on something like this that the Founding Fathers designed and uh, work through in the Constitution, and, and then you get to work through the process here with, with Mississippians uh, from around the state. So it was a, a good day. During the event, Governor Tate Reeves defended the institution of the Electoral College, calling out those who seek to dismantle it. Reeves says the Electoral College ensures Mississippi's voters aren't disenfranchised. For those individuals around this country that want to change the Electoral College because they believe it will benefit them, I would argue they fundamentally misunderstand the principles upon which this country was founded, and they fundamentally misunderstand the principle that we live in a republic, not a true democracy, and that is because our founding fathers recognized the importance not only of the big states but of the small states as well. And so for those individuals throughout our country, and particularly for those in Mississippi, the elimination of the Electoral College disenfranchises voters in Mississippi. And we should all, as Mississippians, Republican or Democrat or Independent, should fight any effort in this country to do away with the Electoral College. The coronavirus pandemic led many states to adjust election laws and procedures to make access to the ballot easier. Expanded mail-in ballots in other states led to an undeclared winner on election night and days of counting. Secretary Watson says the question of mail-in voting is tricky. The vote-by-mail question is an interesting one, uh, and many people get this confused. There there are two pieces of vote-by-mail. The national conversation that you you saw this year take place, vote-by-mail was unsolicited ballots that were sent out to all registered voters. The problem with that is, and we see it right here in Mississippi, uh, is the the number of folks that are on voter rolls that shouldn't be there. Uh, We've got 36 counties right now with 90 percent or more of their voting age population showing up as registered voters. Uh, and I believe the number is either seven or eight counties that have over 100 percent, the worst being 107 percent of the voting age population is showing up as registered voters. That's impossible. Uh, so when you, when you look at that piece of it, vote by mail is not the right road to go down and, and certainly not the right road for Mississippi. Uh, the second piece of that is when you look at absentee voting by mail, again, a different issue there uh, that as a solicited ballot, where someone is calling in asking for that ballot, they have to have an excuse in Mississippi law. Uh, and so our circuit clerks uh, do a great job of implementing that law uh, here in Mississippi. Uh, are there areas that you can take advantage of it? Absolutely. Uh, with anything else in life, uh, if someone wants to take advantage of a system, they're going to try their best to figure that out. So it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we're watching with a, a keen eye uh, and working with our circuit clerks, with our elections commissioners, with our legislators to make sure we have a good system here in Mississippi. 
and I believe we do. Amended voting laws and mail-in ballots have been at the center of many of the lawsuits filed by President Trump's legal team and by state officials in the weeks since the election. Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch joined two suits that challenged laws and results in other swing states. Reeves says those suits, including the one by Texas, which Fitch joined, were filed to protect voters in other states. Well, obviously, that was a... a piece of litigation that was filed by the state of Texas, and I thought it was um, a a piece of litigation that that, uh, was worth looking at and worth considering. Uh, The uh, majority of the court determined uh, that the states did not have standing. I think the argument that is a reasonable argument to make, that is, if there was an illegitimate vote, if there was an illegal vote in some other state, Well, it disenfranchises every legally cast vote in the state of Mississippi. And so I think there was certainly a legal argument to be made with respect to um, the litigation that was filed. The majority of the court uh, found that that was not the case. While I may or may not agree with their ultimate decision, uh, they are the ultimate arbiter of that particular case because it did go uh, to the Supreme Court. And and not only did a majority, but a large majority of the court uh, threw it out. Despite the suit being dismissed without standing by the majority conservative Supreme Court, Reeves defends Attorney General Fitch's decision. Well, obviously, the the the, um, the decision to utilize uh, state resources as the duly elected Attorney General of our state—that's certainly her, not only her right but her responsibility. Um, keep in mind that she was representing. Uh, all 1.3-plus million Mississippians that voted uh, on Election Day because, again, if there were illegal ballots cast in any other state, then every legally cast ballot in Mississippi and every legally every Mississippian who cast a legal ballot would then be disenfranchised. The court did not uh, take to that particular argument, but I certainly think uh, the, the Attorney General uh, made the right decision to um, to at least ask the court to consider that, um, and, and, and they did. Coming up on the heels of its legalization, a small group organizes a trade association for medical marijuana. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lee Lewis, Hall Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes. That was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Within a year, Mississippi will have a medical marijuana program, and some residents are joining in an effort to form a trade association to help create, support, and guide the medical marijuana industry in the state. Jessica Rice is the Director of Public Relations for the Mississippi Cannabis Trade Association. She discusses the association's formation and its goals with our Desiree Frazier. We have seven founding members, and we are also in the process of developing a board of directors. The board is going to make up of industry leaders in uh, medicine, in retail, in agriculture. That way we have a well-rounded basis and knowledge group to pull from 
and to be able to educate the public from. The seven members who um, created the association um, are just seven Mississippians who are passionate about seeing health care um, come to Mississippi and are getting involved into the industry and have a little bit of previous knowledge from other states. Can you give us an idea of what the framework is that you're looking at? I mean, are you are are you trying to set something up where you work with the Department of Health and anybody who wanted to uh, be a part of cannabis growing uh, would be encouraged to join the trade association? Yes. So one of our goals is to work with the Department of Health in assisting in whatever way we can offer services. Additionally, we are encouraging members of the public to visit our website mscta.org, where they can join. We will be offering membership services like education, uh, networking opportunities, and um, other ways to get involved in the process. And what is your time frame for getting this up and going? Because the health department is in the midst of dealing with the coronavirus pandemic, and they are the ones that are supposed to administer the medical marijuana program. But in light of the pandemic, that may be further down the line. That's correct. And we are willing to work with the Department of Health. Initiative 65 thankfully puts in some safeguards um, and gives the Department of Health some dates to work towards. We are, of course, willing to assist in any way needed and um, encourage the Department of Health to attempt to meet those um, goals set in the initiative. Now, you said there are some people in the association who do have some uh, knowledge or background. Can you give us an idea? Yes. So we um, are in talks with another organization who has some bases in Oklahoma, and they have had a medical marijuana um, program there for roughly two years, and they have been able to give us a lot of knowledge about getting the program off the ground and what kind of services are needed in the community and how best we can um, help Mississippians. And being a part of the trade association, will this be to promote some type of um, uniformity across the board with everyone that's growing the product? Yes. So eventually we would love to have everybody who's interested in being in part of the medical marijuana industry, no matter what aspect of their business that may be um, for the sake of uniformity, for the sake of advocacy, education, you know, networking, but we can all do this together. This can all be a great thing for Mississippians and not competitive, but community-wise. So what does it mean to you that Mississippians voted to legalize medical marijuana? We believe that Mississippians had a strong voice in stating how they want their communities to be treated um, through health care. Well, Jessica Rice with the Mississippi Cannabis Trade Association, a brand new group. Thank you for speaking with us. Thank you so much for having us. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. 
Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.